Warning, this episode of This Story Is Nuts may contain a subject matter that is graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When Nikki Vanderhayden's nude body is found on the side of a Wisconsin road, police almost automatically suspect her boyfriend, Doug Dietry. After all, Doug has opportunity, motive, and not a very airtight alibi. Or does he? My name is Missy, and I'm about to take you on a wild ride. Stories with plot twists, shocking endings, and unbelievable truths. Trust me when I tell you that this story is nuts. substitute teacher, and mom of three, Nikki Vanderhayden lives with her boyfriend Doug Dietrich in Ledgeview, Wisconsin, which is a smaller city located about 20 minutes out of Green Bay, Wisconsin. It is May 2016, and although Nikki and Doug have just had their very first baby together, six-month-old Dylan, things aren't going that wonderfully for the couple. In fact, the two have only been dating a few weeks when Nikki got pregnant, and their relationship is on the rocks. So when Doug's friends invite the two out for a night at a local bar, Nikki jumps on the chance. She could use a night out. Nikki and Doug meet their friends at the watering hole, where they plan to see a band called the Steel Panthers. The couple is letting loose and having fun. But as the crowd is letting out after the show, Doug and another friend run into a few friends from high school. Doug decides he wants to stay a while and catch up, while the rest of the group decides to go on to the next bar the sardine can. Nikki isn't thrilled by this, since she wants to spend time with her boyfriend Doug. But he promises that he will meet up with them in a while, and so she goes on without him. However, as the night progresses and the more and more Nikki drinks, the more and more irritated she's getting at Doug. Nikki begins sending Doug irritated text messages, calling him abusive, and accusing him of being unfaithful. Doug takes the messages in stride, barely responding to her, which in turn makes Nikki more and more angry. When Nikki decides to call Doug, her call goes to voicemail. So when one of his friends offer to call him for her and Doug picks up, this is what sends Nikki over the edge. She storms out of the bar, followed by one of Doug's friends, who tries to reason with her. But the intoxicated Nikki refuses to return with him. Instead, Nikki decides to walk a half mile by herself to the next bar, a bar called Richard Cranium's. When Doug's friends tell him that Nikki took off, he calls her on her cell phone and the two continue to argue until Nikki's phone dies. It's 12.30 a.m. Doug arrives home at 2.46 a.m. to greet the babysitter Dallas, who is a friend of Nikki's. And Dallas is concerned about Nikki's whereabouts. So when Dallas asks Doug about where Nikki is, Doug doesn't seem to know or care. Dallas goes on to say in a Dateline interview that when she asks if Nikki is in his trunk, Doug only smiles and says no. 
The two try calling Nikki multiple times, but she doesn't answer. So Dallas leaves, and Doug goes to bed. When Doug wakes up the next morning at 6.30 a.m. to feed Dylan, Nikki still isn't home. But even though it's not like her, especially since she's breastfeeding, Doug goes back to bed until 11 a.m. At 4.30 p.m., a tired and hungover Doug walks into the sheriff's department to report Nikki Vander Hayden as a missing person. Little known to Doug, at around 1.30 p.m. that afternoon, two teenage boys working in a Wisconsin field stumble upon the naked body of a woman. She's only wearing a single sock and a pink wristband, like the kind you'd wear at a concert. Her body has 241 wounds and is so badly beaten that dental records will be the only way she can be identified. She has been sexually assaulted. She has been strangled and has blunt force trauma, but the medical examiner cannot tell which one was the cause of death. A shoe print on the woman's back has indicated that she was also stomped on. Her nails are broken and her hands are bruised, showing she fought her attacker. Down the road, bloody clothing is found along with a Green Bay School District lanyard and a school ID with the name Nikki Vander Hayden. When detectives tell Doug that his girlfriend Nikki is dead, he shows signs of being distraught and he starts to hyperventilate. But despite how Doug responds to the news of Nikki's murder, detectives are quick to investigate him. When investigators search the home that Nikki and Doug share, they don't find any signs of a struggle. But detectives do find what appear to be drag marks and blood smears. Blood drops are found in the car as well as by the shower. There are bloody tissues in the bathroom and blood is found on a sweatshirt. When detectives search the garage, they also find what they believe to be a shoe that matches the print that was found on Nikki's back. And they also believe that they smell cleaning solution in the house. Now a few houses down, a neighbor who's mowing his lawn comes across a black, bloody cord. When police are called, they discover that there are multiple blood spots on the road, only 118 feet from Doug and Nikki's door. Doug Dietrich is arrested just two days after Nikki's body was discovered. When investigators look deeper into Doug's past, they find out that Doug had, had previously been accused by an ex-girlfriend of choking her. And when they talk to Nikki's mom, she too tells detectives that Doug had previously hit Nikki. Doug's mom also comes forward and says that Doug had admitted to her via text message that he had wanted out of the relationship and that he had made a mistake. He wasn't ready for family life. Despite all of the evidence that looks to be piling up against Doug, detectives soon learn that not everything is as it appears. Detectives did find Nikki's body. They did find a bunch of male DNA all over it. But the DNA doesn't match Doug's. That shoe that was in the garage? It's inconclusive to be a match to the shoe print that was found on Nikki's back. And the blood found in the garage? That wasn't human blood. It belongs to a turkey that Doug had shot shortly before the murder. The blood in the car is also not Nikki's. And it's probably from one of the children. The tissue in the sweatshirt? Caused by a nosebleed that Nikki's sister had had in their house. The blood on the black cord did match Nikki, but not Doug.
So, Doug is released from jail 18 days after he was arrested due to lack of evidence. A few weeks later, after a hit and run, a man named George Birch is taken in for questioning. When officers ask to look at his phone, George willingly gives it to him. And as they look at his phone, they realize that George had been very interested in the Nikki Vanderheen case. In fact, he had viewed the story multiple times on his phone. The Google dashboard on George's phone also shows some interesting information. George had also been at Richard Cranium's the night Nikki was murdered. Remember that bar that Nikki walked to? And as they take a closer look, they discover that George's Google map of the night is the exact map of what happened in Nikki Vander Hayden's last moments. From Richard Cranium's, George travels to his house, to Nikki's house for somewhere between 40 to 50 minutes, to the field where her body was found, and then to the highway. When he is confronted by the police, George finally admits that he was with Nikki the night she was murdered. But George claims that Doug Dietry was the one responsible, not him. George claims that after meeting Nikki at the bar, the two strike up a conversation. The conversation then leads to the two agreeing to go back to George's house to have sex. However, when George and Nikki get to the house, George is currently staying with his friends and they are awake, still watching television. So Nikki offers to go back to her house. But when they arrive there, she realizes that Doug had beat her home. So instead, Nikki undresses in the back of George's truck. And George, who is a much larger man, it's 6'7 and 270 pounds, will not fit in the back seat. So they have sex with him standing outside of the truck. According to George, the next thing that he knew is that he is hit over the head and he wakes to find Doug Dietry standing over the now deceased body of Nikki. Doug forces George at gunpoint to pick Nikki up and put her in the truck. He then forces him to drive out to the field and dump the body. When Doug gets distracted, then George sees an opportunity to push past him, get back in his truck, and speed off toward the highway. Once he realizes that the bloody clothes are in the truck, he throws them out the window. And this is the exact story that the defense team uses to claim that their client is a victim of Doug Dietrich, just as Nikki was. Prosecutors in the murder trial against George Birch claim that this story is bogus. Not only that, they have proof that Doug Dietrich had nothing to do with the murder of Nikki Vanderhaden. And their proof? It was Doug's Fitbit. According to Doug, he was sleeping the night that Nikki was murdered. That was his alibi. And the prosecutors, when they actually gather Doug's data from his Fitbit, it shows that Doug had only taken 12 to 18 steps between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. They also claim that if Doug had taken his Fitbit off entirely, no steps would have been registered at all. A jury agrees with the prosecutors. Doug Dietry wasn't involved. This was all George Birch, and he's convicted of first-degree murder in 2010, and he was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole. Detectives believe that George had tried to sexually assault Nikki, and when she fought back, he became angry and strangled her. 
Nikki more than likely fell out of the truck during the attack, and that is where George stomped on her. Any injuries she received during the strangulation prevented Nikki from screaming, and she died only a few feet from her own door. Doug had nothing to do with the murder of his girlfriend, Nikki Vanderhaden. He would later be charged with reckless endangerment and false imprisonment of Nikki's sister, who a year after Nikki's murder went to a party with Doug and rejected his sexual advances while riding home in the vehicle with him. Angrily, he sped up the car and refused to let her out. Nikki's sister had been staying with Doug to help him care for baby Dylan. My sources for today's episode were The Mirror, The Daily Beast, and the Dayline episode, The Silent Witness. Catch me in all the socials. I'm on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. And I'm on Facebook. I'm very active on Facebook, actually. So if you go to the Facebook page, it's www.facebook.com backslash this story is nuts podcast and that's where I will share pictures I like to share pictures of um, whoever the story is about and we can talk a little bit more about the stories if, if you're like me now I am where I will listen to the story or read the story and I want to talk with people about the story I really like to talk about these stories so if you're anything like me if you are into true crime into weird stories and you just want to talk about it afterwards go ahead on that Facebook page let's start a conversation you can send me a message so if you have a story you want to talk about please send me a message on there you can also send me a message on my gmail it is this story is nuts at gmail.com or you can visit the website that is podpage.com backslash this story is nuts all one word all lowercase so there you go those are all the socials please hit me up like subscribe share with all of your crazy story loving friends and I hope to catch you back here next time on an all new episode of This Story is Nuts. This episode of This Story is Nuts was written and produced by Missy Reese with theme music by Logan Reese off of Groovepad.